produced by Podcast Architects. Transcending Architecture. I'm Chelsea Reber with Dean Jorge Venegas, and this is episode two, The Deep Dive. Dean Venegas, it's so nice to have you here today. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, and for more information about Texas A&M's College of Architecture and what we cover in today's episode, please visit arc.tamu.edu. Dean Venegas, in the last episode, you did a great job of giving us an overview of what the College of Architecture is all about. But today we are taking a little bit of a deeper dive. So let's go ahead and just jump in. What would be necessary to make Texas A&M's College of Architecture a global leader agent of change? I think the first thing is to transcend the stereotypes that are associated with the disciplines that we have inside the college. We talked last time that when you hear the word architecture, you feel about pretty buildings, big buildings, tall buildings, fancy buildings. But that's much more than that. And we have several disciplines that basically touch your life in every possible way. So the difficult thing is to transcend the impression that the college is just a sum of individual disciplines. What makes this college different and what I have been proud to leave for so long is the fact that we enable things not just do things. There's a difference between enabling health and building a hospital, enabling a very healthy work environment in an office building than designing and building the building. So I like to detach what we do to make it more powerful in terms of its impact beyond the obvious. What would you say the college's most ambitious long-term goal is? I think our long-term goal is, depends on who you're asking. There's something called rankings and ratings that everybody chases. Um, the long-term goal is to fully communicate that we are who we are, building on who we have been going to where we want to be. In other words, it's changing the narrative of what an academic institution can do. As architecture, we interact with all kinds of disciplines, not only as clients, but also in the making of architecture. So when you are able to change the narrative, I hope that we can capture the value that we enable through what we do. So for example, you take architecture, we have a very strong program in health. And we work with all disciplines, not only in the university, but outside on a global scale. So when you are doing health, we inject health through urban design. How do you make walkable cities? Cities for everyone, people with disabilities, people that are old, people that are young. So when you look at that, it's a very different story than, oh, landscape architecture. That's just gardening. 
It's not gardening. We enable really quality of life in every possible way. Take construction. How do constructors work? They're given a project, probably designed by many. Sometimes they get a chance to participate early. But I keep saying that, you know, a general rule of thumb, it takes $1 to build something. It takes about $10, kind of a ratio, 10 to 1, on how to operate it and maintain it through its service life. But the real question is, what is the value of those $11? It is not $11. It's what you enable in the productivity of the workforce that are occupying that facility, the productivity or the cost of the technologies that are in a hospital. It's the value of what they deliver, which can be up to 100. So one, 10, 100. Where are you going to put the biggest effort in ensuring that the 100 is the best that it can be. Unfortunately, that's part of the narrative. Everybody wants to squeeze out whatever they can out of an architect or a constructor or an engineer because we go for the lowest cost. We would like to change that paradigm to the highest value. I can see how that would be challenging. It is very challenging. But at the same time, gives us a sense of purpose. Otherwise, we would be nothing more than a commodity or just for hire. So what technologies are most promising for future physical environments? And which technologies do you think are being overvalued? I think that I would not use the overvalued. I think that they may have been used too much and now they're so part of what we are doing that take the fax machine, take email. Uh, I don't think that they're overvalued. I think that they're just part of what we do now. But surprising to many people, the level of technologies that are disrupting the built environment, both as a process and as a product, they are all over the map. So. I just finished giving a couple of presentations internationally on smart cities, that was one, and on the other one on sustainable infrastructure. And before we go any further, can you give me a definition of a smart city? That's where I'm going. It's all about technology. Okay. So you've heard about Internet of Things. You've seen about how everything is connectivity these days. So in terms of technology, what we're talking about is that now you can embed sensors in almost anything, your clothes, your watch, your car, your house, sensors collect all kinds of data. Mm -hmm. So now you have the technologies to acquire data. Data is acquired and then transmitted somewhere. So it's a whole connectivity that we have never had before. And now that's affecting how our professions work. So when you look at smart cities, You're talking about buildings that can regulate their interior comfort, Mm. environmental controls, that can tell you like a car does to you that your tire is low. It can tell you how the building is operating. That's smart buildings. Smart grid will tell you about how energy is distributed, produced, where there's a problem, when there's a peak, what to do. Same thing with water. Same thing with transportation. The amount of intelligence that is now embedded, artificial intelligence that is embedded, 
So that's another technology, artificial intelligence. But in our field, it's also about artificial reality. When you are able to visualize a digital twin of a building or a digital twin of a city, that completely changes how you look at that city. And then you couple that with a geospatial GIS, geographic information system. That's another technology that allows you to have layer upon layer upon layer of data that at a glance can help you make better decisions. So I think that from the overall view of being able to visualize our world that we create in the natural, the built, or the virtual environment, and even in some cases, the technologies to see how people interact with each other in a social environment. All those technologies are part of our future, and that is part of what's getting into the classroom and the design labs. We have people doing artificial intelligence, artificial reality. We're doing people that are doing big data and analytics. We even have a laboratory inside the Institute of Data Science that it's about visceral interaction. We're talking about adding emotions on how you visualize data. So I'm an excited groupie that just loves everything that our faculty do. 3D printing is another one that is going to change how we do things. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole work about how do you monitor energy in a way that you can actually eventually reach zero energy, zero emissions. Mm. So I think that a lot of people don't realize how many technologies we have to deal with, but that is part of our future. Do you feel like you're having to play catch up with as advanced as some of these technologies are? Do you feel like you're chasing those technologies or is it something that you're able to keep up with as they are developed? The, the fundamental issue of academia is to help develop those technologies. Mm -hmm. That's why we have research at the undergraduate, graduate and PhD levels. Some of the research ends up into breakthroughs. But one part that we don't do as well is that we don't have the resources or the infrastructure that business has to make some of those discoveries uh, provide a return on that investment. I think that in terms of playing catch up, um, I would hope that in some cases we can leapfrog instead. Catching up is. Um, a distracting thing. And I think that when you realize that we are in the space we are, as we are, who we are, uh, trying to just catch up ends up kind of uh, distracting you from the essence of your soul. Mm. And I think that that's one thing I fight a lot is basically whenever you're catching up, you're trying to compare yourself against others. Right. I think that if you are a value proposition, People will come to you because they see the value that you bring instead of us being a salesperson trying to convince you, mm -hmm. please use what we have. We have a fantastic array of technological developments. In some cases, we are just maybe not catching up, but keep keeping up with the Joneses. In other words, if we are able to incorporate into our learning experience the tools that industry is already using that you say, you know, are part of life now. Um, I think we're going to be doing a great job. And that requires facilities and that requires resources. And we are pursuing that. What elements are necessary to future proof, not only the professions that the college serves, 
uh, but to future-proof society at large? That's a very interesting question because I am a firm believer that we need to future-proof. The primary weapon that we have is the fact that we're getting a generation of digital natives coming into the university. These are students that were born into a world of technology mm -hmm. after things that people already forgot. Y2K, you know, the, the famous end of the millennium, end right. of everything. Uh, this new generation has never seen life without technology. They are technology natives. They were born with a screen They were in born their hand. with it. They <laughs> live with it. They cannot live without right. it. Right. So we need to just tap into what they do because they are the future. So if you don't pr future proof education and you still think that you're going to be teaching for the sake of teaching curricula that was developed 50 years ago, curricula that is mandated by, you know, accreditation bodies, uh, sometimes you need to part ways with the status quo and take a leap forward. And I think that we are doing that not as aggressively as we probably should, mm -hmm. but we're definitely doing it as we can. Uh, <clears throat> I think that future-proofing, once you get past the students, it's about not forgetting that practitioners are also long-term learners. They're lifelong learners. So we are in the process of trying to make better the potential for education of people that were born in another era that are now hiring these new digital natives in organizations that some, not all, but some are not moving as fast as the technologies and the people. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very interesting point in time, but for, for us, anything we do has to have a look at the future. Now, having said that, you cannot forget the past. Right. And we have history and theory and a whole body of knowledge behind each one of our disciplines. But you learn about the past to learn from the past as a catapult to the future. And when I first arrived here, I think that that's what I saw because I had never been surrounded by historians or theorists. I came from another completely different background. But I learned to respect the past. We have a center for heritage conservation. Heritage is different than just historical preservations. So I think it's a very interesting continuum. But if we have any chance at, you know, uh, happiest future possible, we need to start now with our students, with what we are doing to calibrate professionals and help professionals and bring what professionals do into the classroom. So there's a whole thing. It's about working together mm -hmm. towards a common goal. And that is the best living environment that we can do. And that's what we want to do. That's great. I just want to give a quick reminder to our listeners that if they want to learn more about what Dean Venegas is talking about today or Texas A&M's College of Architecture, you can go online to arc.tamu.edu. Now, Dean Venegas, what are the most important steps needed to document the college's story, both now and in the future? You kind of talked about history, and um, but then also having to be ready for what is to come so what are those steps needed to document the story of the college? All right. Um, 
going to try to put an order to this one. Okay. So the first thing that I think we have not done that we are trying to do is the fact that we have about 16,000 living graduates from our college. That's a lot of knowledge. It's That's a lot, a of, lot of experience. Yeah. That's a lot of stories. Um, I don't think that we had paid attention to that as much as we could have and should have. But now that is changing. We have had projects to reach out to our former students, encourage them through our newsletter, encourage them through our social media. Tell us what you're doing. People sometimes are surprised at what our college has produced. Has produced the highest number of presidents of the American Institute of Architects, uh, a designer, the largest tall building in the world, the visitor center in the capital, countless hospitals, parks, landscape, and not to mention things that have been built by a very large number of graduates who are no longer interns or entry level professionals, mm -hmm. but executives and professionals. We have a, about 200 companies at one point of advisory in construction. Our own Kyle Field, our great stadium. Mm -hmm. We had 120 of our Aggies from construction working in that project. And there's very little, at least in the state of Texas and in some other states where there's not one Aggie that is doing it. So I think that we need to capture a lot more stories. We are in that process. We just upgraded our website and our website is going to be featuring a lot of stories. I think that we suffer a little bit from a, an attitude that telling too much about what we do is like boasting. Of course, we forget that we're in Texas and we should be bragging all the time. Right. <laughs> so we are moving towards not vacuous or empty, you know, showmanship, mm. but rather, I think we have a lot of things of substance. So one of my personal goals is actually to tell a story. For example, not many people know that the college for over, or actually 30 years this year, has been serving the underserved, very disadvantaged populations along the border with Mexico. Mm. You know, the stories that those families have about A&M, the university helping them giving them dignity, giving them opportunities, connecting them to health, connecting them to food, connecting them to nutrition. That's just one example. Another example is we have lots of communities that have been helped by our Texas target communities. Hurricane Harvey comes in, we are helping out. Uh, we have students that are working to produce and build things that are for others. I think that the core values of what A&M stand for can spawn a lot of stories. We just, now we have the technologies to do so. We just have not really acknowledged that importance. And in today's world, everything is storytelling. Well, and I want to go back to, we talked about living in that digital world and, and you talked about digital natives and especially these classes of freshmen that are coming in. I mean, they have been around screens their entire lives. Um, 
besides the online lectures and the digital submissions, how is the College of Architecture adapting to that increasing digital world? And and how do you want to use that digital world to tell your story? Uh, the work that some of our departments are doing in capturing the reality of the world around us is very important. Mm-hmm. We have a lab called the Live Lab and uh, led by one person from industry that came here, Professor, now he's teaching, Professor of the Practice, um, and Andre Thomas. He can take photographs of in a three-dimensional kind of space okay, and very quickly transform them into what you use in video games, the three-dimensional immersive technologies. That's big. You can literally go with your camera and with the technologies that we're developing, students can do that. We're using drones in multiple levels to do assessment of terrain and everything. Construction obviously has advanced towards the digital technologies that allow you to do um, what used to be called surveying, but now it's Mm -hmm. a complete different kind of way. So I think that Everything is digital. It's almost a requirement to have a computer when you get into this college. It's actually a requirement for freshmen. Okay. And I think that um, as I look at where our Department of Visualization is taking it, I think you're going to see much more immersive. I think you're going to see a lot more augmented. I think you're going to see a lot more, um, like I said before, artificial realities that will enhance the learning experience of students. We know the students are going to be comfortable with the screens, the computers, the digital world. How is your faculty adapting to this increasing digital world? And and if you've got someone maybe who is pushing back a little bit or they're just not comfortable, how does the college help address that situation? You will always find people that love the traditional approach. Right. Sometimes it is merited because yes you need to learn the Mm -hmm. basics if you don't know multiplication how are you going to get into integral calculus but the point is that there is a renewal of faculty as faculty are you know fulfilling the left journey we've had faculty one of them a professor that caused magic during his whole 52 years of teaching The college is only 50 years old. So he came here before the college was actually Mm -hmm. founded. And we still have those. So yes, but they coexist with the rest. And I think that there's an internal little bit of peer pressure. I think that sometimes the pushback is not so much pushback as, uh, and I can say that in some cases, they will remain nameless, but basically could see technologies as a threat. But, I am totally for maintaining the legacy of what architects do, like sketching by Mm -hmm. hand when you are there instead of taking a digital picture. Right. Or being able to capture a moment with a few strokes that you are never going to replicate, no matter how hyper-realistic your your photograph is. So I think it's a matter of coexisting, again, between the past and the future. And the exciting thing is the journey in the middle that connects both. Um, And even the people that teach history have at their tips 
elements that they didn't have before. And I think that part of it is also the fact that we have an ocean of data and information available. I don't know of any time before now, especially after post-COVID, mm-hmm. where the amount of material available to learn a skill, to learn a process, to find an answer, to share a solution, whatever it may be, it's affecting all of us. Right. And we as a college have the responsibility of doing that. And faculty know that. And I think that our faculty are adapting quite well. Yeah. Coexist. I love that. I love the way you put that. So, well, Dean, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Before we wrap up this episode, though, I have a little bit of a challenge for you. And I think you'll understand why it's a challenge when I ask. Describe your experience with the college in one word. Without further explanation, <laughs> just one word. No, I, I will ask you why you have chosen ah, that okay. word. So you'll you'll get a chance. Okay, to the explain. first thing that comes to my mind mm-hmm. is the kind of feeling that you have on a roller coaster. Mm. The word is exhilarating. It is exciting. It is scary. It is you see exactly where you're going, and sometimes it does a twist and turn. I think that. But the college has gone, honestly. Uh, this is not our first pandemic. We had the same pandemic when I became dean in 2009 with the swine flu, oh, yeah. SARS, mm-hmm. then Ebola, and several. Of course, not at the magnitude that we had with COVID. Right. Um, we've had economic meltdowns where we lose a lot of money. I lost 20% of our college budget the first three years mm. because that was the meltdown in 2009, 10, 11. So history does tend to come in cycles and loops. That's what keeps things interesting. And right now, I can tell you that we're going through a very interesting potential change at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. I've had nine presidents. I've had eight provosts. And I've had eight department heads in architecture. And that is not something negative. But actually, I say it says a lot about the institution. It doesn't matter who's at the top. The institution is made by the collective population of students, faculty, staff, and administrators. And A&M is on a trajectory that has crossed $1 billion dollars that has the highest enrollment in its history, mm-hmm. and that has a footprint that transcends Texas to the U.S., transcends the U.S. to the world. And we're even up in space. We have a project with NASA in our construction science department. We're so everywhere. Land grant, <laughs> sea grant, space grant. There we go. So, yes, it's been an accelerating ride. Well, Dean, thank you so much for your time today and your insight. Uh, In the next episode, I want to give our listeners a little bit of a sneak peek of what we're going to talk about. We are going to answer the question, what is the infrastructure that we have to support quality of life, quality of place, and quality of human endeavor? So what can our listeners expect during the next episode? I think the next episode in following that is that to achieve the way that we're looking at our vision, our mission, and uh, what we want to really leave as an impact and a legacy requires some changes in mindsets. The infrastructure sometimes is not the physical one. Physical, I will talk about that because we are in the process of getting a new facility and new technologies. That's always a quest. 
But I think that more important is the physical, the, the intellectual infrastructure that we never talk about. And the intellectuals, you know, any infrastructure is a set of elements that collectively do. We have a powerful house of intellect. We need to just connect it better. We need to create the synergies better. We need to transcend each one. And that's what we're going to be doing. Different paradigms that enable an infrastructure that transcends. And I really am in love with transcend uh, the boundaries of what has always been the status quo. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to Transcending Architecture, a podcast architects production. Uh, for more information about Texas A&M's College of Architecture and what you heard on today's episode with Dean Venegas, you can visit arc.tamu.edu. For Dean Jorge Venegas, I'm Chelsea Reber, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.